people. That was really fun. I was watching uh, Baby Eden. She was the only baby up here, so she got like multiple blessings from this <laughs> quadrant of the, the, the church here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Good morning again, and welcome everyone to coming to church. My name is Dur. I'm one of the uh, pastors on the teaching team. And I just read for you the very first words of the Bible and the very last words of the Bible. What exactly is this book that we call the Bible? This book that includes multiple literary genres. This book called the Bible, the Word, the Word of God, God's Word, the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. It's got genres like poetry, narrative, wisdom, prophecy, gospels, letters and epistles, and apocalyptic writings. How did these books come to comprise what we call the Bible? And do such a diverse collection of books really speak a unified message to us today? How would we decipher that message if indeed there is that central message? Now, I think the Bible is absolutely central to the church and what it means to follow Jesus. I don't think a person can grow in their faith journey with Jesus without reading the Bible seriously. But when we, when we probe a little bit and we ask the question, what exactly is the Bible, we realize it doesn't take long before a lot of our common Sunday school answers kind of fall short. As 21st century American evangelicals, we have a long history, whether we know this history or not, of American Christianity battling over the Bible's authority between what's called American fundamentalism and modernism, where modernism is the influence of modern science on our worldview. And in this age of reason and modern science, think Darwinian evolution, American Christians have had to, quote unquote, protect the Bible from these perceived threats that might cause the Bible to lose its authority. But I think this problem only arises in such a particular context like this. It only comes about because of the questions that modern science raises. Because the ancient biblical authors and the, and the first century readers of scripture they didn't have these same problems about scripture. They didn't feel the same pressure points that modern science raised. The ancient writers and readers of scripture, they saw the Bible more as instructions and narrative and stories and poetry that gave understanding to human relationships with God and with each other. They didn't see the Bible primarily as a book of truth propositions or scientific phenomena, or at least what we call science. So this brings us to today, 21st century America, where many evangelicals have grown more comfortable with what's called 
the Glass Case Bible. The Glass Case Bible, it sits beautifully on display, majestically contained in its glass case. We know it's important. We've been told it's authoritative. But we're actually a little scared to open the glass case and actually read what the Bible has to say to us. We're afraid that it's going to say some challenging things, some confusing things, some things that seem really foreign to our culture. I love studying the Bible. It's a lot of my burning questions when I was coming to faith was based around the Bible. I was asking, if there was such a God, if God even existed, how do I know that God even wants me to read the Christian Bible compared to any other religious text? How would I know? I was asking, how do we get the different books of the Bible comprised? How did we decide what the books were going to make it and what books were not going to be part of the Bible? How were the events in, in, in Scripture, how were they first recorded? Like, when you first start reading Genesis for the first time, and you have no background on Genesis, I was asking questions like, was somebody present watching God create the world and like writing it down? I mean, it kind of presumes like someone was there to see it all. And then how was the Bible preserved and transmitted across different continents and languages and even the centuries? Those are some of my questions. I'm sure you have had many questions of your own when it comes to what is the Bible? How do we read it? And what do we do with it? If you've ever asked questions like that, I want to encourage you, you are at the right place at the right time. Because here at Roots, we've been in this series called Refined, Discovering the Jesus Way After Deconstruction. This experience of deconstruction and reconstruction in our faith journeys is probably a familiar one to a lot of us. We've been saying that deconstruction doesn't have to entail rejection, but deconstruction can actually be a precursor to rejuvenation and to seeing what it means to follow Jesus with fresh eyes. And in order to undergo this deconstruction, without abandoning faith, we need to wrestle through these things in a community of trust, that we can be honest and open with these questions. And we're actually making that space available through our misfit meals here. Uh, we're calling them brave spaces, but they're our misfit meals. And if you're still looking for a group to meet up with, um, I want to encourage you to come talk to myself, Pastor Ashita, or Pastor TC. Before you leave today, uh, we still have room. And just let us know. Exchange numbers with us, and we'll go from there. We would love to encourage you to, to sign up. We keep confidentiality with one another, and we meet in small groups of like three, four, or five. And so I want to encourage us to take advantage of that. As we journey through the sermon series together, my prayer is that God would reinvigorate um, your hearts and your minds uh, for him and for one another. So in asking the question, what is the Bible, I think there's no better place to start than in the Bible. There's a number of different passages that, uh, where Scripture talks about Scripture. So we're going to be looking at one passage in particular as a way of kind of laying down the foundation for the rest of today's message. So if you have your Bibles with, uh, with you, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verses 16 to 17. Or you can follow along on the screens behind me as well. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It reads like this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me pause right here and just invite you to join me in prayer as we seek the Holy Spirit to speak to us through this text today. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we recognize that all scripture is God-breathed, and so we call out to the God who the scriptures originate from, and we invite you into our hearts and our, and our minds and our ears and our attention as we engage with your word today, God. Would you speak to us in a living and a powerful way today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, this is probably one of the most common Bible verses that uh, Christian pastors and theologians turn to when talking about the Bible. We can't talk about the Bible without talking about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There's three main things that I want to invite us to, to see in this passage. The first thing is this word, God breathe, where all scripture is God breathe. Now, some English translations are going to say inspired by God. And this is where we get the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. This might just be a little bit of semantics on my part, but in my estimation, I think God breathe is actually more accurate than inspired by God. Because God breathe is the literal translation of the Greek, Greek word theopneustos, where theos means God and the verb Pneo means I breathe or to breathe. So Theopneustos translates quite literally as God breathes. So the scriptures are God breathe. The second thing in this passage is that all scripture here refers to the Hebrew Bible or what we Christians call the Old Testament because when Paul was writing this letter, there wasn't a New Testament. There wasn't an Old Testament. There was just the Hebrew Bible. Why is this important? It's important because God demonstrates this progressive revelation through the Bible. The Bible just didn't drop out of the sky complete with its 66 books ready to go in the King James print for us. It came progressively, progressive revelation through history, through cultures, through humans. But rest assured, 2 Timothy and the rest of the New Testament is acknowledged as divine scripture. We see that in another letter, in 2 Peter 3.16, and that reads, Peter's writing about Paul's letters. He writes, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. So here we see clearly 2 Peter affirms that Paul's writings are recognized, as scripture by relating it to the other scriptures. 
And the third thing in 2 Timothy 3.16, we find that the purpose of Scripture, Scripture intends to teach and to rebuke, to correct, and to train for Christian or Christ-like living and service. So one major purpose of Scripture is to turn, transform real people into real followers of Jesus. When my wife Alice and I got married years back, we joined a, a small group with other young, newly married couples. And our life group leaders were a couple of older empty nesters. And they had been serving this church for years and years. And it was just a really life-giving season where uh, like that 12 or 14 of us met once a week to engage in God's word. Throughout the course of those four years, we were part of life group for a uh, small group for four years. Throughout that time, I remember people started talking about scripture, talking about each other differently. I remember seeing God literally changing people as we engaged scripture together. There was one woman in particular who, uh, in the first couple of years, she didn't show any interest in uh, the prophetic. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the middle of like year two, year three, I remember there was one particular Bible study. She starts raising all of these questions about what is prophecy, you know, is that real? Kind of those kinds of questions. And you can just tell that God had put this new curiosity on her heart. That was really cool to see. And then even years after we moved, this woman texted Alice um, that she had had this dream that she just felt like it was from God and she felt like she really needed to share it with Alice. Um, and I remember Alice told me the dream and we were like, cool, you know, and we felt edified by it, felt encouraged by it. And it was just, it's really awesome to see that scripture, when we read it in context of a community, that scripture intends to, to equip us, to transform us for works of service, to be more faithful followers of Jesus in that way. Now after hearing from 2 Timothy 3.16, some of you are like, sounds good to me, no further questions, case closed. I'm ready to go on. Love God, love others. That's awesome. And then others of you are probably like, well, this just raises even more questions for me. Well, we obviously can't address all the different questions of what is the Bible. There are a couple of things, a couple of major things that we can speak to in terms of uh, receiving the Bible for what it is historically. That's, that's one thing I want to address. And the second thing is, seeing the, the overarching story in the Bible, kind of that, that unified central message that I was talking about. So the historical um, reality of what is the Bible and how it came to be, and then also the, histor or the uh, overarching narrative. Some of you might really appreciate the historical stuff. Other of you, you're not going to care for it as much. Even if you don't care for it much, I want to... Uh, I want to say it's actually really important uh, that we see the Bible for what it is, that it has historical background to it, and that uh, it's been transmitted uh, from generation to generation to us today. So if you don't care for it too much, I still want to uh, encourage you to see it for what it is um, for today. So, so what is the Bible? Um, the Bible is actually a library. It's a collection of separate writings, separate books, from multiple human authors, showing the author's unique writing styles. And yet, all of the books are 
guided by the Holy Spirit. Right? At the smallest level, we get our English word Bible from this, from this Greek word, biblion. And that word just refers to a single body of text found in a scroll because they didn't have books with the front and back cover. They had, they had scrolls. So biblion just means like a single document of text. That's where we get our word Bible from. The Bible can be thought of as simply an individual scroll. And what we call the Bible is a collection of all of these, written by about 35 to 40 human authors over the course of about 1,500 years. And as I've emphasized throughout this message, the human authors, they weren't just writing out of their own insight, out of their own knowledge. They were led by the Spirit of God as they wrote in their unique writing styles. And New Testament scholars can see this when I look at the Gospel of Mark. In the Greek, it's actually much lower level Greek grammar than the other Gospels. So it's very clear um, to scholars who study this that there's a difference in grammatical content. And yet the Spirit of God is the ultimate source behind their human words. So the Bible is both a, a product of divine authorship and human authorship. And it makes sense when, when we think about it, because how else can humans talk about God or write about God other than to use the vocabulary that they already possess, right? And Second Peter also uh, speaks to this. Second Peter 1 writes, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is a collection of books or scrolls from different human authors carried along by the Holy Spirit God breathed in their writing, written across a span of about 1,500 years. The Bible's a collection. It, it might be more accurate to call the Bible the Bibles, because there's many, many books in the Bible. We say things like the book of Job, the book of Genesis, things like that. So these separate texts, these scrolls, they came together through this process uh, called the canonization of Scripture, or the canon. I'm not going to spend too much time here, but this is important for the historical development of what we call the Bible. The canonization of scripture, it, the first thing to note, it wasn't a single moment in history, but instead it was a long process of over uh, two to three centuries, and it involved the, the, the whole uh, early church as a whole, where, where the, the early church spread throughout the Mediterranean and Asia Minor. They came to recognize um, a collection of writings that represented normative and authoritative Christian teachings. Here's what's really interesting, especially for us 21st century people, that the early church, they actually preferred oral tradition, oral instructions, where the apostles could physically go to a church and teach. A lot of Paul's letters he writes, because I can't come there, that's why I'm writing this letter. So in the four Gospels, they went through their own oral tradition before they were written down, too. So first century people, they were totally fine with oral tradition and verbal instruction. They didn't need a letter or a book. They started writing letters and written accounts of Jesus' life because the apostles were dying and could no longer travel to the churches. So they needed written 
record. Um, they didn't have email, so they needed to write these things in scrolls and in text. That sounds really unnerving for, for us because we like to see our Bible complete in the glass case. So copies of these Gospels and the Epistles, they start circulating throughout the early church. Again, throughout the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire, and uh, Asia Minor. And it wasn't until about the 4th century that these separate writings came to be recognized as what's called a canon or a fixed standard collection, later to be known as the New Testament. And the Hebrew Bible would have just been canonized or fixed just a couple centuries uh, prior to that, around the second century. Now, I'm just scratching the surface. There was a whole lot of other historical events and figures who played a bigger role in this canonization process, but we're not obviously not going to go into that today. Uh, the thing to know is that by the end of the fourth century, the church has all of its 66 books of the Bible. Now, in the 21st century, um, as I've said, I, I think it's really important that we recognize that what we call the Bible has this century-long historical development to it. And I think we can better appreciate it for what it is, rather than assume that the Bible was just written to our context. Um, I've heard it said the Bible was written for us, but not to us. It wasn't addressed to 21st century Minnesotans. But it, but it is written for us today. This might not be an exact parallel, because when you're trying to um, summarize this you know, two-century-long process, that's really hard for our minds to grasp. But I thought of this little example, probably stretching it a little bit here, but um, to kind of better illustrate this process, this canonize, canonization of scripture, Imagine if in this room we were to break out into individual tables and groups. And there was a, a company that just created um, their line of brand new candy, never before shared with the public, right? This is candy we're talking about, okay? <laughs> and our task in these separate tables was to go through all the, whatever, 50 options of candy. And each table was to decide which ones were the best three separately, separate tables. And as we go around the table, we start seeing that, wow, this table is saying the same three pieces are the best, that table is saying the same three. We go around and like, everyone agrees there's like the same best three pieces of candy, right? Again, this is way less significant than scripture. But to kind of put this big two, 300 years process into a, a five minute explanation, that was one example I thought of. That that's, that's kind of what was happening with the churches in the Mediterranean, the early church. You add to that the mix of the Holy Spirit working in the early church and the leaders, and I think we can begin to have a little bit better grasp of, of how our books came to be in the Bible. All right, so historical development of the Bible aside, what do these separate books have to say to us today? Do they speak a unified message to us. Now as Pastor Yoshida already alluded to earlier, and I and, and many readers of the Bible um, might agree that the Bible is God's revealed story of love and redemption centered around the main character, Jesus. 
The Bible is God's revealed story of love and redemption centered around the person of Jesus. Jesus is the main character here in the Bible's overarching narrative. You can say that God is the main character, and, and that would be true too, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, according to Hebrews 1.3. So no, the Bible is not Jesus, nor is the Bible the Holy Spirit, but the Bible reveals the story of God's love to us through the focal point of Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible invites its readers to journey, to step foot into the way of Jesus. And the Old Testament talks about following God using the imagery of walking on a path. Psalm 23, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Proverbs, for the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining even brighter to the full light of day. In a similar way, parts of the New Testament identify Christians as followers of the way, continuing this imagery of following someone, following God on a path. So the story in the Bible invites its readers to walk according to this way of Jesus. Now, another way I might summarize this, this overarching biblical story in one sentence, which is really hard to do, but if I were to, I might say this. I think that the Bible teaches in one sentence that all of creation has one true king, and the enthronement of that true king means the dethronement of all false kings. And everything else that the Bible speaks about flows out of that central point. If you're reading from the Old Testament, it's pointing forward to Jesus. It's pointing forward to his birth and his life. We just celebrated Advent, how Israel yearned for a Messiah. If you're reading the New Testament and you're reading from our context today, it all points back to Jesus' life, earthly ministry, sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension. It all points back to that Christ event. Because there's one true King, Jesus, there is one new humanity under his rule. Because there's one true King, Jesus, humans are invited to participate in this kingdom of forgiveness, of mercy, of compassion, of justice, of hope, healing. Because there's one true King, Jesus, eternal salvation from all that is evil and broken in the world is made possible. Because there's one true King, Jesus, everything else becomes idolatrous. So, no, when we, when we take the Bible out of its glass case, and, and when we receive it for what it is as this, this historically developed literature, inspired by God, God breathed, with all the difficult and troubling things that the Bible has to say, the Bible's not as majestic as maybe what we thought it was, but that's okay because God is majestic, not the Bible. 
The Bible reveals God to us. And this message invites us to live differently into this overarching story as we wrestle through real life things like, like doubt, like suffering, like injustices and sin and evil. But also the, the Bible declares that there's a new way that we can now find our joy and know mercy and experience restoration and new life in Christ together. You know, the Bible in all its messiness, I think actually shows that God can work through imperfect and broken people um, who write in their different languages, who are from different cultures, and even, even different centuries. And as a whole, the Bible still points to the way of Jesus. And I think, I think this is one of the strongest evidence that the Bible is God-breathed and not merely a human product. So as I, as I close, let me leave us with this quote from St. Augustine of Hippo. He was a fourth century church father in North Africa. And this is what Augustine writes on biblical interpretation. So anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot, by his understanding, build up this double love of God and neighbor, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. Would you join me in sweet prayer? God, we are uh, people confined to, to time and to space, Lord, and sometimes it's over-presumptuous of us that we can uh, contain all of your truth in just the few years that we have on this earth, even as we open your book and as we study and, and as we read it, Lord, um, we acknowledge the mystery behind it. And, and, and yet we acknowledge the wonder and the hope um, that it points to for us, God. We see your word as um, a source of, of life. We see your word as a light um, that shines, that reflects uh, Jesus into this world. We see your word as uh, your story revealed to us and that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us through these words today, God. And so for the, all those reasons and more, we see your word, the Bible, as a gift uh, to your church. God, may we receive this gift with, for what it is in its, in its uh, joy and in, in, um, in its good news. And yet, Lord, may we um, receive it humbly and not, not ever believe that we've figured it all out and that we've... Um, been able to to trace the whole thing and, and interpret every part, God. And, and, and for those who who have struggled with different parts of the Bible, God, I, I pray they would know that the Bible points to something bigger than itself. And God, that you are the God behind the scriptures. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to each and every one of us who um, has opened up the word, looking for you, looking for direction, God. I, I, I entrust uh, our lives to you, Lord, that you would meet us in all of our questions and our longings. 
uh, as we look for you, God. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.